The Vermont Conversation with David Goodman is brought to you by Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility and by Vermont Student Assistance Corporation, Green Mountain Power, Concept 2, Norwich Solar Technologies, The Alchemist Brewery, Let's Grow Kids, UVM Medical Center, and nearly 700 business members of Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility who believe that sustainable business practices value people, planet, and profit. Welcome back to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. The U.S. would be better off with fewer billionaires. That's the headline of an op-ed piece running on CNN.com. The author is Chuck Collins, who's a co-editor of Inequality.org at the Institute for Policy Studies and author of the book Born on Third Base. Uh, Chuck Collins, welcome back to the Vermont Conversation. Hi, David. Thank you for having me. So um, lay out your argument about why the U.S. uh, should have fewer billionaires. Yeah, I would say it comes down to we would be so much better off if we had more thousandaires and fewer billionaires. And uh, that the real problem is not that there are people who are billionaires, but that we have a system, an economic system that creates uh, these growing number of billionaires and along with that level of wealth is a lot of power the power to corrupt democracy the power to shape the rules that govern the economy so once you get a very high threshold of wealth like that uh, we're moving into sort of an oligarchy situation with concentrations of wealth and power so that's the problem really it's about power Um, This issue came up in the Democratic debates. Should we even have billionaires at all? Well, I think we should. I like the phrase that billionaires are a policy failure. Um, You know, it may be that there's, you know, somebody invents something that all of us want and there's a a surge in wealth that flows to that person. Um, But a, a healthy society would disperse and diminish that wealth fairly quickly. Uh, certainly within one one generation. What we're starting to see are the creation of wealth dynasties in the United States, where uh, people who 40 years ago uh, may have had a half a billion dollars in wealth now have six family members, like the Mars Candy family, who all have multiple billions. So their wealth is accelerating. So that's the problem. We, we, we don't want to have a society where Uh, If somebody reaches that level of wealth, they don't keep holding it and it doesn't keep multiplying. Hmm. Um, Chuck, let me uh, ask you to talk on your handset and not a speakerphone. The the quality will improve. Um, I want to get your response to – so when Mike Bloomberg enters the race, I mean that was uh, really an incredible – thing that he was doing, bypassing the early primaries because he could, saying that he would spend, uh, you know, hundreds of millions, I think it was half a billion dollars or so that he spent by the end. Um, and, And just that alone, as somebody who reflects a lot on oligarchs and the power of wealth, what did that, how did that strike you, the whole Bloomberg experience we've just been through? Um, and I apologize, David, this unit that I'm on only has a speakerphone for some reason. I could call back, but uh, let me just speak. But I think that Bloomberg, in a sense, exemplified the problem of concentrations of wealth because he used his uh, 
philanthropic power to move a lot of money around. And he is a good philanthropist and he funds some good work. But what that did was it created uh, a sort of millions of people who were accountable to him and not critical of his positions on things. So he, he sort of compromised a lot of critical thinking with that level of wealth. And that's what you have when you have somebody with that level of wealth and power entering into the political system. They're not only able to corrupt the system with um, huge amounts of uh, uh, you know, wealth in terms of buying commercials and, and advertising and uh, hiring campaign staff, but they're also, in a sense, weaponizing their philanthropy. They're using their giving power to also secure support. Did it, uh, were you afraid he might actually succeed in buying an election? I think we were looking at a situation where if if we had not seen sort of the Biden surge, uh, that Bloomberg would have stayed in and he would have spent over a billion dollars to get himself elected. Uh, And we would have seen a a pattern which still may happen, which is uh, billionaires running for office. We had Steyer, we had... Bloomberg, we Trump claims to be a billionaire. Uh, the, 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 this may be uh, the wave of the future uh, unless we intervene as a society. I mean, we saw uh, eight years or four years ago when Trump was running that each candidate sort of had a billionaire patron. If they weren't a billionaire themselves, they had a you know a, 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 a billionaire who backed them and kept them in the race and sort of was supporting them through various forms, including tax-exempt charity money uh, given to them. So uh, that that's where it's dangerous if we keep seeing this, this billionaires in politics trend. Hmm. Um, I'm going to, uh, Chuck, just have you call back on a regular handset so we can get a better sound for you. But um, for listeners, I'll just share some of what uh, our guest is, Chuck Collins, Uh, He's got a piece in CNN.com called The U.S. Would Be Better Off With Fewer Billionaires. If you want to join this conversation, you can call us at 244-1777 or toll-free at 877-291-8255. I want to just read a a brief passage from Chuck Collins' piece. Uh, He writes, My colleagues and I found that in 1990, the total wealth of all U.S. billionaires was $100. $118 $118 billion in today's dollars. Uh, last year, we found it grew to over $3 trillion. Just three of today's billionaires, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and Warren Buffett, now own as much wealth as the bottom half of all U.S. households combined. When you count the whole Forbes 400, that figure rises to nearly two-thirds of our households combined. Chuck Collins, um, I know we have you back now. What account, why at this moment in history have things become so skewed in wealth? Well, in a a simple phrase, the rules of the economy have been tipped in favor of wealth at the expense of workers and wages. Um, So that's, you know, like tax policies. uh, We estimate the billionaire class has seen a 70% reduction in their tax rate over the last 40 years. Um, So we used to tax high incomes and wealth at higher levels and 
that's a huge shift. And then the fact is wages have been flat. Uh, 20% of the population is now underwater. They, they owe more than they own. Um, so it's part of this larger inequality trend. One out of five people are underwater. And the next 20% have very little financial reserves to fall back on. Uh, the Federal Reserve estimates, you know, the average is like $400 of financial reserve. So one, one car repair, uh, one big medical bill, and uh, you're underwater. So that's 40% of the population that is living close to the edge. So how is it that at this moment in time, uh, a billion, a supposed or self-proclaimed billionaire, which uh, I think we can be very skeptical of until we actually see tax returns, is able to persuade many working class voters that he is the answer to the problem, the situation that they find themselves in? What is the appeal of a Trump to working people? Well, I think that these inequalities do create conditions where people feel a sense of betrayal and anger, and they want to disrupt the status quo. Uh, I think in 2016, uh, Donald Trump was the candidate of disruption. He was, you know, holding out the possibility that he was going to fix the economy and address the needs of the bottom 40 percent who who were being left behind. Um, It's it's clear that his program isn't doing that. Uh, you know, the 2017 tax cut mostly went to global corporations and multimillionaires. Um, so, you know, I think he, but he's doing a good job sort of speaking to people's reality of feeling betrayed and done wrong. And I think uh, he continues to do that effectively. And I think that's, you know, I think we have to look at like, what are the real indicators here? Um, you know, under 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 Donald Trump, just in, in in less than three years, the billionaire class saw their wealth increase seven hundred and ten billion dollars. Um, that their their wealth is increasing much faster than the wages and wealth of people in the middle of the society. Uh, so he's got a pro billionaire agenda masquerading as a sort of popular program that's going to help everybody. Well, and uh, he is a master of using, you know, never missing the opportunity of a crisis to advance his own, uh, basically his own personal gain. I mean, now, you know, using the coronavirus as an opportunity to ram through more tax cuts, which so far does not appear to be getting any traction on Capitol Hill. But that's, you know, the announcement of the last 24 hours. I I guess the thing that I marvel at is that the people who are the – who stand to suffer the most from his policies, whether it's Midwestern farmers whose uh, trade with China in soybeans has imploded or it's the many people who no longer have health insurance because of Trump's attacks on Obamacare, that – he is counting on them, and so far we have yet to see whether he'll be successful in this, to put him back in office, the very people who are losing tangibly from his policies. Um, how do you turn that around? Well, I think I think that part of it is to continue to talk about the real impact of Trump's policies on working people 
as to as opposed to you know don't watch what he says watch what actually happens um and the, and the reality is unemployment is low and uh but part of it is that the whole economy has been juiced uh the tax cuts have created temporary prosperity and i think what one thing that's going to happen with the coronavirus is we're going to see the deep vulnerabilities for working people the fact that a so many millions of people are living close to the edge home ownership rates are declining uh medical costs are going up uh so i think it is part of part of the challenge and and you know i i think uh is whether the democratic nominee can argue that they will do a better job disrupting the status quo than Trump obviously is saying. Uh, and that's a, that's a, that's the challenge before us. But, um, yeah. Well, it, it appears uh, now that uh, Biden is the presumptive nominee, uh, notwithstanding Bernie Sanders' announcement within the hour that he is staying in the race. Uh, I think it's clear to most people his that, that Bernie's path to victory here is, uh, if not dried up, is exceedingly small. So what do you see in Biden uh, as a guy who can articulate uh, the aspirations and frustrations of the middle class? Well, he's, he, he's always positioned himself and talked about himself as a champion of the middle class. You know, when he was uh, in the Obama administration, when he was vice president, he had an office specifically looking at economic policies that affect the middle class. Uh, and, and to be, um, you know, I think that Senator Sanders uh, has completely changed the conversation. Uh, he's put positions out that Biden is actually signed on to, reforming the estate tax, uh, which is the tax paid by the richest, only by multimillionaires and billionaires, Senator Sanders has put forward a bold proposal to reform it. Uh, he's put forward uh, a, a bolder tax program than, than Biden. But Biden has, has come forward and said, you know, yeah, we should have a surtax on the richest one-tenth of one percent. Um, we should start taxing income from, weight, in, income from investments uh, at the same rate as income from work. So one of the big problems in our tax system is we – we have very low rates on capital gains and income from capital. So workers end up paying higher tax rates. Uh, Biden actually gets that and is a, uh, a champion of taxing work and taxing wealth at the same rate or, or even taxing wealth, work at lower rates. Uh, so, th- so those are some of the positions I think we can see. And I think the fact that Senator Sanders has pushed the conversation uh, will have a positive effect you know, going forward on these issues. We're talking with Chuck Collins. He's the author of a new op-ed piece on CNN.com that's entitled The U.S. Would Be Better Off With Fewer Billionaires. Um, So, Chuck, back to billionaires for a moment. Jeff Bezos announces he's giving $10 billion to address climate change. It sounds good. Um, What's the problem with that? Well, one of the things we're seeing is people are using their philanthropy as a way to kind of deflect thoughtful criticism of their actions. And, and but, you know, what's interesting about Bezos' announcement is obviously there needs to be huge investment in climate change. 
there are almost no specifics that went along with his announcement. He didn't identify either neither a team of people who really would have a meaningful uh, program uh, nor the kinds of organizations he was going to fund. It was clearly a public relations announcement at that moment when there was tremendous scrutiny over Amazon and Amazon's tax tax avoidance. Um, And this is not uncommon. I think one of the things is we should become very skeptical of billionaire philanthropy right now uh, because philanthropy is becoming another extension of private power and wealth for this billionaire group. Uh, and that's not to say there's not useful things or, or meaningful things that some, some wealthy individuals are funding, but it's become a kind of huge deflection. And we should be worried that giving by most people, ordinary people, donations to charity have been slowly going down, down, down for the last two decades. Almost all the growth in philanthropy and charity is by the very rich. And so we're now creating a charity system that's almost entirely dominated by mega donors. And that that's dangerous. And when a Bezos gives $10 billion to some charitable enterprises related to climate change, what's what happens to our taxes? Well, here's one way to think of it. For every dollar that a billionaire gives to charity, you and I chip in anywhere from 40 to 55 cents of that gift, depending on how much they use their charity to reduce their, their inheritance taxes. But let's just say it's half. 50 cents of Jeff Bezos' dollar given to charity is lost tax revenue. It's money that would have come into the Treasury. And so you and I are going to have to pick up the slack for that gift. And, and this is the problem. We have a taxpayer-funded, taxpayer-subsidized system of private power, of billionaires making decisions. Uh, and again, there's occasionally people do meaningful and good work. Um, and if they're giving to, uh, you know, uh, the Vermont Community Loan Fund or some group like that, that's money that's actually going to have a positive impact in a community. But a lot of it is asking the rest of us to subsidize their choices. And and that's why we should be very skeptical. And for those who haven't heard our previous conversations, you're the author of the book Born on Third Base. Um, talk a little bit about your own personal experience and the decisions you made around uh, your personal wealth. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in, uh, you could say I was born on third base. I, I grew up in a wealthy family. Uh, my great-grandfather was the meatpacker Oscar Meyer. Um, but also, at the, in my 20s, I worked in Vermont and New Hampshire with mobile home park tenants working to buy their mobile home parks. And in that process, I got a really intimate front-row seat into how working people in New England were struggling with stagnant and falling wages. And then also growing up in a wealthy family, I got the experience of seeing how wealth was multiplying for people at the top. So that that led me to my own personal decisions around giving away uh, the wealth that I had inherited. Uh, and, but it, you know, that was almost 40 years ago, and it's put me on a path to being very aware of how these inequalities work 
the stories people use to justify them, and the problems with philanthropy, just what you and I were talking about, David, that philanthropy is not the answer. Philanthropy is not a substitute for a fair tax system uh, and publicly funded investments from state, local, and federal groups. And we shouldn't get confused about the role of philanthropy in our society. What concerns you most as you look forward and as we are in an election year where wealth and lack of it and oligarchs uh, and their their opposites are very much part of, you know, at the center of the discussion? Well, I think that we're, it's a very precarious time from that point of view. Uh, you know, I think what you and I were talking about, about the Michael Bloomberg phenomena, the Tom Steyer, more and more wealthy people getting into politics, that will affect not just obviously presidential campaigns, but states and localities. Maybe less so in Vermont, but, uh, you know, uh, but I think in other states, we're going to see more and more of these kind of billionaire governors, uh, billionaire mayors, and then billionaire candidates for president. So I think we should, we should be vigilant and concerned about what's happening to our democracy. Uh, you know, Louis Brandeis said you can have a democracy or you can have concentrated wealth in the hands of a few, but you can't have both. Mm. Um, and I think one of the questions we should ask anybody running for office is, what are you going to do about the concentration of wealth and power? Do you have a program to directly address that? Um, you know, so we had Senator Sanders and Senator Warren put forward a wealth tax proposal. Uh, we have Senator Sanders, a robust, improved estate tax, essentially an inheritance tax. Those are the kinds of things that could reverse these concentrations of wealth. What other ideas are people putting forward? And if they're not putting them forward, then we're just going to keep the status quo going, and we are going to—it's going to become more oligarchic, more concentrated. Okay, well, we're going to have to leave it there. Chuck Collins, I want to thank you for joining us again on the Vermont Conversation. Thank you, David. Chuck Collins is co-editor of Inequality.org at the Institute for Policy Studies uh, and the author of a new op-ed piece at CNN.com that we'll link to called The U.S. Would Be Better Off with Fewer Billionaires. That does it for this week's Vermont Conversation. You can hear this and all of our Vermont Conversations at vermontconversation.com. Tune in next Wednesday at 1 for another Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening. The Vermont Conversation with David Goodman. This special feature from Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility is underwritten in part by Vermont Student Assistance Corporation. VSAC helps students of all ages save, plan, and pay for college and career training with education and career planning services, need-based grants, scholarships, low-cost education loans, and Vermont's official 529 college savings plan. Norwich Solar Technologies, providing complete clean energy services to Vermont schools, towns, nonprofits, and businesses. Green Mountain Power, delivering clean, cost-effective, and highly reliable power to customers and offering cutting-edge products and services to reduce costs and carbon. The Alchemist Brewery of Waterbury and Stowe, proud B Corp, using the power of business to support a clean environment and economic opportunity for all. UVM Medical Center, Burlington, Vermont, the heart and science of medicine. Let's Grow Kids, a statewide campaign about the need for more high-quality, affordable child care in Vermont 
to better support our children, families, communities, and economy. Concept 2, designers and manufacturers of Concept 2 rowing oars, indoor rower, ski erg, and bike erg, and proud to support nonprofit groups such as the Green Mountain Club. And nearly 700 business members of Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility who believe that sustainable business practices value people, planet, and profit.